Hello, everybody, and welcome to the September edition of our Premium Natural Wine Club. My name is Eric Mercier. I'm co-owner of Juice Imports, and today I'm going to be walking you through our amazing selection. Firstly, I'd like to apologize for how late this is coming out. Uh, Mark and I went out to the Okanagan to work harvest at Lightning Rock. Uh, while we were there, I planned on recording the podcast, but unfortunately we had a minor technical malfunction, which meant that I couldn't record until we got back to Calgary, uh, which has just happened. So, uh, you know, taking the time today to record this and get it out to you. Fortunately, there's only like two or three people who actually listen to this thing. So I feel like, uh, they're the ones who are going to be, uh, extra patient, with me getting this content together for you. Um, the lineup this month is ridiculous. We've been planning this particular month for like almost a year now trying to get these wines. Um, fortunately, they all showed up at the same time. We had just enough of each of them to get them into the club. Uh, and it's a, a really special lineup of uh, very esoteric, but I, I think crowd-pleasing wines at the same time. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about a little wine from the Czech Republic. In the Premium Club, this is the first time that we've ever had a wine from the Czech Republic included, uh, and this is from our friend Milan Nesterak. Um, he is located in Moravia, so the southern part of the Czech Republic. It's actually closer for you to fly into Vienna and drive north than it is for you to drive south. Um, it's you know, a fairly convenient place to get to, but it is ultimately a farming region. Um, the towns are, are sort of small and rustic, and it's sort of exactly what you'd expect if you're going into, uh, you know, an area that's, in this case, you know, farming a lot of grains, farming a lot of vegetables, farming a lot of, you know, things like that, essentially. Um, a totally different world. Uh, Czech Republic is, is maybe not on everybody's radar, and there's a very good reason for that, and, and that is essentially communism. Uh, unfortunately, you know, basically post-World War II and onwards up until quite recently, I think 1991, um, they were essentially um, sharecroppers, meaning that all these different grape growers would uh, do just that. They would grow grapes. They wouldn't make wine from it. They would just sell those grapes, uh, essentially giving them away to the government, who would then take all the grapes from the entire country together, uh, make one big state wine, uh, you know, like state red, state white, state bubbles, maybe if you're lucky. Uh, and, you know, there's no real aspirations to be an amazing winemaker or even a good grape grower at that point. Um, they were just obsessed with production. Uh, the government was, you know, more incentivizing grow lots of grapes. It doesn't matter what they taste like. It doesn't matter what grape variety it is. Uh, we're all just going to make it the same way anyways. And, and the whole goal is to, you know, just get by essentially. Um, unfortunately, that means that the, you know, thousand plus year history of winemaking was lost uh, during this sort of generation that didn't get to carry on the heritage of winemaking. Um, so Milan Nestrak is, is, you know, both like a multi-general winemaker, uh, but also a first generation winemaker, uh, in the sense that, you know, he, he doesn't have that direct lineage anymore. Uh, although his father did, uh, plant a bunch of these vines and was, was able to get some vineyards back after, um, the split essentially. So this particular wine is, is one of my favorites. We've been importing this wine almost since the beginning. So about four and a half years, we'll get 
sort of one allocation per year, which means that I think we've gotten probably four vintages of, of this particular wine. Uh, the uh, <laughs> government was not particularly impressed with the name of this wine, uh, and we had to do some battling in order for them to allow us to, to import it. But once we explained that it was a Czech word, uh, they, they got around it. So this particular wine is called Podfuck. Uh, it is essentially the name um, in, in Czech for a con, so tricking somebody. Uh, and the idea was that when, he, uh, when Milan was originally making this wine, he was making it from Pinot Gris. But his Pinot Gris got so ripe, um, so intense, and, and the skins uh, of Pinot Gris are, are actually quite red. They almost look like red wine grapes. So he fermented it with the skins, and when he poured it for his friend, he's like, there's no way this is made from Pinot Gris. Uh, you're trying to trick me. This is, this is a con. This is a podfuck. Uh, and so uh, he decided that was a great name for the wine. Over the last couple of years, Milan has done some serious soul searching and, and really reorganized his winery, reorganized the way that he thinks about making wine. And so before, when it all used to be about single grape varieties, um, he is now more obsessed with doing field blends from really great vineyards. So this particular one is no longer just made from Pinot Gris fermented on the skins. It's now a blend of Pinot Noir, Blaufrankisch, and Pinot Gris all together, um, coming from two adjacent vineyards that are, in his opinion, some of his best. Um, they may not own a ton of land, but it's spread out over quite a few different tiny plots. So when we're talking about vineyards, we're not talking about like in, in Napa, where a vineyard could be a thousand acres. We're talking about like a half acre, uh, you know, maybe an acre here and there of vines planted. This is, uh, you know, so two adjacent vineyards could mean, you know, even one acre of vines, or maybe even less than that. So these are this is sort of the best of the best as far as uh, as far as he's considered. Um, this for these for this particular wine, they're destemming the grapes, uh, so they're taking the grapes off the stems. Um, for those of you who haven't seen one of those machines before, they are pretty miraculous. Uh, basically, you put in a cluster of grapes, it spins it around, and there's little holes inside this drum, and it allows the grapes to go through the holes, but the stems are too big, so you essentially, you know, end up with these whole grapes, um, but none of the stems. And so they then fermented everything together. Um, Milan is one of the few producers we work with who adds no sulfur to any of his wines, and actually the entire wine club this month is no sulfur. Um, very rare for us. We're very dubious of, uh, of no sulfur wines. We've had enough of them in the past that have been poor uh, or lack the stability or the clarity that we really like. But with the producers that we've included today, um, they're some of the few people on, on planet Earth who I really trust to make uh, you know, no sulfur wines that are going to be entirely clean, entirely stable, and in, uh, in at least two out of three of the cases, quite age-worthy as well. Um, Podfuck, we've had examples of this that are uh, five, six, seven plus years old uh, at this time, and, you know, they're holding up, not even just holding up, they're developing into these beautiful, beautiful wines. Um, now that this is more of a red wine than an orange wine, I'm curious to see how it's going to do. Um, but regardless, it's, it's, again, very special for us to get to include this. Um, only 48 bottles made it to Alberta. Uh, we have room for 30 people in the club. I think we have somewhere around 24 people in the club at the moment. 
Um, so that means that there's a handful of bottles left. So for anybody that really falls in love with this wine, we did order a couple of cases extra in order to be able to, uh, you know, <laughs> deal with the supply and demand. Um, you know, traditionally these are some of our uh, sort of most sought after wines and you're seeing them on some pretty amazing wine lists around the world these days. Um, really excited to have these guys back. Uh, last year, we took a little bit of a hiatus uh, with importing wine from the Czech Republic. It was a hard sell for us, frankly, and it's it's very challenging as a small wine importer being like, you know what, like we're going to put our, uh, you know, we're going to put ourselves 100% behind this producer, regardless of whether it sells. And we did that for a couple of years and the wines were, again, we, we felt like the wines were amazing. Consumers were really liking the wines, but it was hard for us to convince shops to bring in wine from another country. Uh, a country that they didn't already have space for on the shelf. The, you know, other countries section that most wine shops have is normally dominated by things like Greece and Hungary, etc. cetera. Uh, there's not always room for, you know, esoteric wines from the Czech Republic. And so for us, we sort of took a year off last year to sort of debate on, on whether or not we were willing to, you know, try one more time and, and really see if we could get people drinking these. We felt like the time was right uh, and so we brought them back in and, and we feel really lucky that, you know, Milan has been patient with us and, and been willing to work with us, even if we're only ordering quite small quantities. Uh, his entire production is quite small anyway, so I'm sure he's fine, uh, you know, spreading the love a little bit, but we're really excited to have it. Um, as far as flavor and texture and all those sort of things, um, it is Pinot Noir dominant, so there are definitely some red fruit characteristics, but Blau Frankish tends to really come through. Lots of dark fruit here, lots of spice, um, and then the Pinot Gris, I don't know what it is about this particular Pinot Gris, but it really reminds me of a blood orange. It's very autumnal. Um, it has a lot of those sort of uh, almost like pumpkin-y qualities. We won't go into pumpkin spice, but definitely like pumpkin, that sort of like savory, deep, sweet root vegetable kind of vibe. So even though it's only 20% in this wine, it adds this really nice sort of base note, uh, this, this smooth, soft, sort of luscious texture, um, even though it's only 13% alcohol. Um, yeah, really, really well done. I'm super excited for, for everybody get, to get a chance to drink this. Um, yeah, it's such a treat to get to work with them. I'm drinking ample amounts of coffee right now, trying to uh, keep the energy level high. It's uh, the joys of going away for harvest for two weeks means that you're doing physical labor for two weeks, and then you come back and you have two weeks worth of work to, uh, to catch up on as well. So um, the next wine that we have, this is from the All-Stars. Uh, you know, the, I think we've already included Gudo Gao three times in this wine club, but I, nobody is complaining. People are like, please... Give us all the Gudo Gao humanly possible. Uh, and we're trying to do it. Honestly, we get such a small allocations. Um, you know, Stephanie and Edward are super kind and, and are willing to work with us, but it's hard. It's, it's, uh, it's hard deciding who each of the bottles are going to go to and how to spread it around and how we can, you know, figure out how to, how to get them here. But uh, we got 36 bottles of Josephine this year, or Josefina, um, and we decided to include them in the wine club. Uh, I really love this wine. Honestly, every year it flies off the shelf for us, but, um, again, it's so much more fun setting these aside for the people who are, are, are truly dedicated, uh, are really going to get behind this. So 
Gudogau uh, from Austria, from Bergenland. Again, we've talked about them a million times over, but Stephanie and Edward are, uh, you know, sort of heroes of mine. Uh, incredibly talented winemakers slash farmers, uh, very dedicated to sort of the aesthetics of the natural wine world. Uh, everything from, you know, the way they dress to the way they speak to the way their house is decorated. It's all this very sort of like honest, authentic, uh, you know, it, it's, they're the type of people that get me really excited. I love when hearing them talk about their wines and, you know, it's, I feel like they just have such a clear vision of what they want to accomplish that when you try and like respond and you're anywhere off from like what their ultimate goal is, uh, they're so good at just like, drawing you back and being like no no like we're trying to do this and it's interesting too because like by by saying they're trying to do this particular thing which is make the wines that they do uh their ultimate goal is to get out of the way and and allow the place you know the particular vineyard to shine through as much as humanly possible um they prefer not to know the percentages of grapes they have in the vineyard. So although they know that this wine is made from a blend of Rosler and Blaufrankisch, they don't know what percentage of each of those grapes happens to be in the blend. They don't want to know. They don't want to uh, have that influence the way that they're making the wine. Not only that, but they make all the red wines the same way and all the white wines the same way. Uh, for reds, they're doing two-thirds of the grapes fermented on skins and one-third direct pressed. Uh, and by sort of getting rid of this variable of deciding how you're going to make the wine, you can end up with um, wines that are, are showing terroir a little more accurately, or at least it's easier for you to see the ways in which that terroir is showing through. Um, this particular vineyard is planted on gravel, which is very well draining. Um, the wine ends up being quite structured, quite dark-fruited. Rosler is a great variety that most people haven't heard of before, but uh, it lends a lot of color to this particular wine. Um, it's got red flesh, meaning that the, the juice on the inside is also red. It's not just the grape skins, which adds this vividness, this electricity to it. Uh, the color of this wine is always one of my favorites. They also make a, a rosé from Rosler that is <laughs> one of the most surreal colors I've ever seen, that's for sure. Um, and then Blaufrankisch adds structure. Uh, Blaufrankisch tends to have some sturdy tannins to it, uh, not over the top necessarily, but definitely muscular, um, darker fruit characteristics, blackberry, plum, things like that. Um, really cool blend of grapes here. Um, they're fermenting and aging in uh, large oak barrels. Most of their barrels are uh, Austrian oak, uh, stocking up barrels, uh, some of my favorite barrels. Uh, if you can you know, have a favorite barrel company, I, I would definitely say that that is probably my favorite. Um, and this is just like the perfect sort of medium-bodied, again, fall, rich, supple, but still savory style of red wine. Um, I find that these wines definitely benefit from a, a little bit of age. Um, this particular wine is coming from the 2019 vintage, so it's quite young, but uh, has had enough time to really sort of come into its own. But honestly, seeing these wines after sort of three, four, five years is, is really exciting as well. 
Um, so if you can snag one of the few remaining bottles, it, it might be uh, it might be fun. We also did get two packs of magnums. Uh, so if you like double sized bottles, there are a couple of those available. Um, I think we might have three bottles left, something like that. So not not a lot to go around. Uh, again, they're they're very nice and and basically say hey, this is how many liters you can have of this wine. What kind of bottles would you like us to put them in? Uh, so I really appreciate that as well. It gives us an opportunity to get magnums and three-liter bottles and all that sort of stuff. So um, as far as pairings go, uh, you know, I think game meat is a really awesome combination for this. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned elk in, in my write-up, but honestly, you can get a little bit creative with your pairing here as well if you're you know into the the stew vibes uh stew is always a really good pairing for this it's got enough brightness and freshness and power and intensity and all those sort of things in order to sort of show through um this wine is also uh made without sulfur um i find that this tends to be one of the most stable cuvées that they make so even after you open it you know after after a day or two Wine is still tasting absolutely amazing. Uh, often wines without sulfur tend to get what we call a mousiness to them. Uh, it's sort of an unpleasant savoriness on the finish that can show up as little as, you know, 15, 20 minutes after opening in, in some cases with wines that are super unstable. But Goudogaud tends to be sort of the more stable of the, uh, of the wines. Um, so yeah, it's definitely got both ageability, but then also the ability to, uh, you know, stay open in your fridge for a couple days. Um, yeah, just for those of you who don't know as well, uh, when you are drinking a bottle of wine and you can't finish it in a night, always good to throw it in the fridge overnight if you plan on finishing the next day. Um, the colder something is, the less, you know, it breaks down essentially at colder temperatures. You have fewer chemical reactions happening and, and oxidation happens slower. And so you're basically going to preserve that wine for a little bit longer, which is, uh, sort of the ideal situation. The last wine that we have in the wine club this month is coming from the Brand Bros. Uh, so I first met these guys uh, in Germany like five, over five years ago now, uh, which is absolutely wild to think about. Actually, I guess it was about this time, five years ago. Um, we went out to Germany to taste a bunch of wine, essentially, try and find some cool new winemakers. And this is right when we were starting off Juice. Um, at the start of September, we turned five years old, which is crazy. So five years ago, we were just trying to build a portfolio. We were trying to find producers that we thought fit our ideology and had uh, you know, a vibe we liked and, and people we liked to work with. And uh, so when we went out to Germany, tasted you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wines um, and sort of narrowed it down to five producers who we thought would be really great and then met up with them. Uh, and chatted, and uh, Brand Bros happened to be one of those producers. Um, chatted with them, thought everything they were doing was amazing, thought the price points were amazing, uh, and was like, yes, let's go ahead with this. And then I realized that we had overcommitted to things. Uh, these are things that you learn as an importer, you know, over the course of your, your career, is you only have so much money in the bank. And so us being a brand new importing agency, we didn't have a ton of cash, um, <laughs> so it was really challenging for us to order from new producers because we kind of just had to reorder from the producers that we already worked with. And so, uh, even though we really liked the wines, we weren't able to actually sign them. We couldn't actually commit to buying any wine. Uh, and so it kind of had to go on the back burner. 
Fast forward a couple years, we met them at Raw in uh, LA and ended up chatting with them, tasting the wines. They were really awesome. Again, got to try some of their more um, experimental cuvées because on my first taste, they were still making quite conventional wines, but their goal was to move towards you know, something a little bit more natural. And then again, a couple years later at Raw in LA, um, you know, absolutely amazing natural wines really coming into their own. But again, same story. We just didn't have the money uh, to bring on another producer. Uh, a year after that, we found out that the guys from Metro Vino, this really amazing wine shop in Calgary, uh, were going to be working with those wines. They were getting it brokered in through another importing agent, and we were just honestly excited to drink them. Um, all of a sudden, I started seeing them at restaurants across town because, again, people really trust what Metro Vino has to say, and if they're like, these guys from Brand Bros make really delicious wines, then everybody gets on board. Um and so, you know, we started seeing them everywhere, started getting to drink them whenever we wanted, and that was really delightful. Um, then the guys from Metro reached out to us and were like, hey, here's the situation. Um, we don't have, like, they, they work with a ton of different German producers. They're like, we also don't have a ton of room for more German wine on our shelf, but we really like working with, like, these couple wines that fill a niche that none of our other producers happen to fill. Um, they're like, would you be willing to import this wine for us? And then all the other wines in the portfolio, you can share around with everybody else so that people in Edmonton can have it, people in Lethbridge can have it, um, you know, people all over Alberta, as well as Saskatchewan and the Yukon uh, could actually drink these wines. And we were like, this is the perfect opportunity. It meant that we didn't have to order a whole pallet at a time. We could just order half of a pallet and then the other half would go directly to Metro Vino. Uh, it kind of ended up being, you know, the ultimate serendipity uh, that five years after, you know, originally being like, we really like these wines, we want to work with them. And then always kind of having them on the back burner, we finally get the opportunity to, to work with these wines. And again, it's been a long time coming and and it's we're just so thrilled to, to be able to represent these now. Um, so Brand Bros are located in the Pfalz in Germany. Uh, the Pfalz is one of the sort of warmer growing areas in Germany. So you can actually see some, uh, you know, more flavorful, more intense red wines coming from here. The Rieslings tend to be quite tropical, um, but really cool place to be, be growing grapes. Um, in this particular vineyard, we're seeing limestone soils and you guys have heard me chat about limestone over and over again, but essentially it allows the grapes to maintain their acidity uh, while you know hanging on the vine for a little bit longer. So getting more intense, more flavorful. Um, it's a lot of people's favorite soil type, and uh, you know it's definitely in the in the top tier for me as well. Um, this wine is made from Dornfelder. It's a again, I feel like we got a lot of great varieties today. That, uh, that people are a little less familiar with. Uh, you know, Blaufrankisch um, in two different forms, Rosler and now Dornfelder. So a lot of these cool sort of Germanic and Eastern European grape varieties that you don't get to see that often. Um, this is coming from a really old vineyard. Um, the vines are, are over 60 years old. And again, as we've spoken about before, the older the vines, the more concentrated the fruit tends to be. Uh, this is mostly anecdotal in a lot of the scientific literature. They're, they're claiming that that's not the case, but for some reason, we seem to believe so. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, for anybody who's tried wine from, from older vines, I think you'll agree there's something special happening there, and it's hard to decide exactly what that is or whether winemakers are just paying more attention or whether 
it's, uh, I don't know, we're just convincing ourselves that these wines are good. Either way, I think it's cool that these wines are 60 years old. You know, think about what was happening 60 years ago. And it's, it's, it's wild that these wines were going into the ground at that point. Um, this is another great example of a wine that hits a super low alcohol percentage, but is very full flavored. 10.5% alcohol, yet this wine is dark as night. It's got this super kind of like purple color to it. I guess not not super dark. Dark is like a, a different descriptor, but like this really saturated sort of purpley quality to it. Um, Dornfelder is famous for having a ton of color in a cold climate like Germany. It's hard to make red wines with intense color, so Dornfelder is, is sort of popular because of that. Um, Dornfelder also tends to make like these light sort of juicy um, soft wines, and this is a way more I guess like serious version while at the same time being being light in alcohol. So it's this great paradox that I think works really well. Um, this wine is, again, I think mostly designed for early consumption. Um, you know, there might be some aging potential here, but I think it tastes so good now that, you know, put a little bit of a chill on it uh, and drink this over the course of, you know, an evening over a dinner as an aperitif perhaps with a, with a little... Uh, meat board or something like that. I think that's the the ultimate combination, especially with something like uh, like pate. Um, you know, some sort of. I, I just got this uh, rabbit and blueberry pate from Peasant Cheese here in Calgary, and I think that that would be an amazing combination with this. Uh, really, really fun little wine, especially from a food perspective. Um, yeah, this is definitely a wine that again has no sulfur. It's not super stable. It'll last for. A couple hours open uh, without starting to degrade or anything like that. But we found after a day of being open, um, you know, it wasn't really living up to its its former glory. So I think definitely drinking it within you know a couple hours, you're really going to hit the point where it's singing at its sort of fullest note. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that this is such a fun one. The the label uh, is actually illustrated by their grandmother. Uh, which is amazing. I think they're just like the sweetest kids. Uh, the brand bros are, are even younger than I am. I think they're like in their late 20s, uh, which is just astonishing that they're making wines that are, are this good at such a young age. They're absolutely obsessed with permaculture. Uh, Al from Metro Vino was telling me that they uh, talked a lot more about the cover crops between the rows of vines than they did about the actual wines themselves. And I think that's the sign of a really good farmer and, and somebody who's obsessed with um, you know, terroir more so than they are obsessed with, you know, the winemaking side of things. Uh, winemaking is only so much fun to talk about. I think the, the vineyards are the part where it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I think that's everything that we have to say about these wines today. You have extra information in the write-ups as well as on the links that we've included um, on your newsletter. Uh, definitely check those out. There's really good write-ups about our time at Gudogao, for instance, um, on that particular page, as well as us driving up to go see Milan Mestrak. Uh, definitely read through those as well if you want extra information. Um, if you have any additional questions, you can reach us at eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. Uh, send us a message on Instagram, just at juiceimports. You know, tag us in the photos of all the bottles from this month. We always appreciate that. Uh, and we look forward to sharing even more wine with you soon. Cheers.